Education in Daba on the Voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM Stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala barakatuh. Welcome back to the airwaves of the Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM and 95.8 in the Borland uh, with myself, Ridwan Ahmed, and yes, you're our donors. Just a reminder to our listeners that you can participate in the program by sending us your questions or comments via the SMS line, and that is 47913. Alternatively, via WhatsApp on the number 072238 Now, moving on. On to the next segment of the program, it says, according to research released uh, by the University of Pretoria, 8 out of 10 grade 4 pupils still cannot read at an appropriate level. Now that equates to almost 78% of South African learners in grade 4 and they cannot read for meaning in any language. Now, just to tell us a bit more about this, we are joined in the studio by Professor Sarah Howie, who is a National Research Coordinator and currently a professor at the University of Stellenbosch. Uh, Professor, a very good evening to you. Yes, thank you. And thanks for joining us uh, in the studio this evening. Also joining uh, the professor in studio, we've got Val Kohler, who is from the Reed Educational Trust. Val, a very good evening to you. Good evening, Jada One. Good evening to your listeners. Okay, uh, thanks for joining us in studio. Now, let's, uh, where do we start this particular discussion very quickly? Professor, let's start with you. I think you indicated that you were part of the research team when it was done in Pretoria. Uh, You know, what motivated this research? And, And maybe just give us a bit of background to this. Yes, I'd love to. Thanks very much for the opportunity. And also, good evening to all the listeners. Uh, This research started, in fact, back in 2004. Mm -hmm. It goes back a long time. And it arrived when we discovered that there seemed to be a relationship between how children were actually learning in mathematics and their their actual reading ability. So based on that, the language proficiency problems that we were having already then in maths and science, we then undertook to start the first PIRLS study in 2006. And what came out of 2006 proved to be at that point quite shocking to us. We then changed the design uh, for 2011, decided that we should let the grade fours write an easier test because they were not managing the more difficult pulls test, so they did something called pre-pulls. And then in 2016, we decided we really needed to find out whether or not there was any progress. So what we did in 2016, we stayed with the easier test for grade fours, and then for grade fives, we decided to go back for, to the trends, going back right back to 2006 and comparing English, Afrikaans and Isizulu. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to do that 10-year comparison in three languages. But in the 11 languages, we were able to do the comparison between 2011 and 2016. Mm-hmm. That was really, really important for us to see, um, not only as researchers, but also as a nation. Mm. Are we making progress was the big question that came out. So whilst we were shocked still, I think, um, in terms of the low performance, we were really hoping that we would have seen a change to that. Well, what we actually found was that there was no change, in fact, between 2011 and 2016 for the grade fours across all 11 languages as an overall total. But when we went to go and have a look inside that data, we found progress for five of the 11 languages. So that was our glimmer of hope. Five have actually improved from the last time we did the study. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the 10-year trend, 
we find that there's progress for Isizulu, which is quite considerable. So it shows us that if we're patient and we monitor over time, we're able to see progress. And that's done by a completely independent organization outside of government um, with an independent research team. Okay, so that's the good news. <laughs> uh, maybe let's hear from, from Val very quickly. Uh, maybe just your contribution you know, to what a professor has said. Well, I have to agree with the professor. It is as a teacher, um, as a trainer, we were very disappointed. We, we understand what's happening in the classroom. We understand the classroom context is a challenge. It is very difficult. Teaching is not one of the easiest um, professions. professions. And if you look at one teacher with 40 learners, and if you look at the class context of 40 learners, it may be as many as seven home languages. And so when we're talking about teaching in English, we're not teaching English-speaking children. We're teaching English Afrikaans in the Western Cape, Isikosa. It may be French, Portuguese, all the other languages. And so when you look at a study like this, then we have to ask if it was a monolingual child coming from an English home into an English classroom, will we have this result? And so when we look at this very disappointing result as a teacher, we have to look at the context and we have to look at the challenges that teachers have teaching 40 learners. And if we look at grade one, for example, how many of those grade ones are school ready? And so they come into a classroom and the teacher has to prepare them in one term, complete a curriculum, have all the administration, work at the level of these learners. And we will have as many as four reading levels, but we may have as many as four different reading needs. So there's a difference between a reading level and a difference between a reading need. So I can have a child that's reading very fluently, but not reading with understanding. So that's the difference. And so when Professor Howie talks about um, a glimmer of hope, it makes me smile because we're looking for glimmers of hope because we've got dynamic teachers. We've got teachers that can make a difference. Um, the context is the challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, we're speaking about pearls, and that is P-I-R-L-S. Yes, let me bring you in here quickly. I asked you to just to clarify that for me. Uh, shukran, Ridwan. No, it's progress in international reading, literacy study. Um, and, you know, as anybody um, being in education, when you find a result like that sitting on your desk and say, oh, look here, you know, this is what our country is doing. <clears throat> math and you're working with children every single day you come from a special school now you think to yourself how many more special schools does does the country have to build within the next 10 years if this is where we're at now i can recall when i started in education 10 years ago we had the litnum strategy mm -hmm. going and we we're pushing very really hard we have the anners and we have the systemics so if we're testing the system mm. every single year and we're looking at anners can either Prof or um, well. Miss, I was going to call you Mrs. Kohler, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and we get that context is a problem. Mafred, one, do we need to go for a break? Yes, yes, you know. Okay, we're going to go for a quick ad break, and when we come back, we'll continue with the program called Education in Daba here on The Voice of the Cape. Education in Daba on The Voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM Stereo. 
Welcome back to Education in Daba here on the Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM and 95.8 in the Borland. Just a reminder to our listeners that you can participate in the program by sending us your questions or comment via the SMS line and that is 47913. Alternatively via WhatsApp on the number 072238 And if you have just joined us, we are joined in studio by Professor Sarah Howie, who is a National Research Coordinator and also a professor currently at the University of Stellenbosch and she's joined in studio by Val Kohler who is with the Reed Educational Trust and this evening we're looking at the PEARLS results I'm not going to even attempt uh, what the acronym stands for <laughs> we will get Yasira to do that again uh, but it has some alarming statistics 78% of South African grade 4 children cannot read for meaning in any language now one of our listeners is saying the following um, Ridwan, another problem is that many learners are taught in their mother tongue aren't taught okay, right, mm. probably that one Yasira. Uh, I taught grade 8 in the 90s almost cried when I had to drop the level of the question paper to almost a grade 4 level Honestly, I think sometimes educators must perform miracles. This was an area where beyond the shadow, huh, beyond the shadow of a doubt, social ills, for example, drugs played a major role, learners experimenting, etc. Well, once again, a very big shukran and thank you to our listeners for their participation to the program called Education in Daba. Another one from 4200 says, Assalamu alaikum. Which six languages showed an improvement? Uh, professor? Well, there were five languages and they were the two Sutu languages, Susutu and Setswana, and they were the three minority languages, Tsitsonga, Sindebele, and Shibenda. Okay, well, you can hear we've got the specialist in the studio. <laughs> yeah, I feel I protected. Definitely. Come with those questions. <laughs> 47913. Well, she can't that. Now, uh, Professor, let's just go b- get back to you. You know, so, I mean, so I'm looking at some of the other statistics that sure. one can, can look at here. For example, sure. it says um, South Africa lags far behind other countries, reading crisis uh, deeper than previously thought, some evidence of improvement in reading 2006 to 2011, uh, but stagnant since 2011 for example Uh, my question what does all of this mean for education okay well firstly I'd like to just correct one perhaps headline that I've seen going around and I think it's been perhaps misquoted or taken out of context Mm -hmm. the fact that uh, the benchmarks suddenly now reveal that the crisis is deeper than we ever thought Um, I don't believe that's true on the basis of what we've produced in the national report. I think the references to the fact that in 2011 we did not have the data that we needed to be able to look at progress at that point and compare the grade fours to the grade fives because they'd Mm. written two tests. Mm. Now in 2016 the clever statisticians overseas have managed somehow to make a link. And in making a link between the easy test and the difficult test, we can categorically look at the levels of the pulse test that we couldn't do previously, so we could make a comparison. So I think that's been misunderstood in the media. Somehow it's been misquoted. We've always been aware of the difficulties. For instance, 2011, on the easy test, we had then one in three children couldn't reach the low benchmark. In other words, they couldn't read for meeting. Mm-hmm. Now, when we put that on the difficult test, if we just compare the easy to the difficult, it becomes 76%. So that makes a little bit of sense 
if you think you get 29% on, an, on a, uh, on a 20, let's say 71% on an easy test, and then you go and get, let's say, 20, what would it be, 24% on a more difficult test, if you think of it like that, that's, that's what it's really saying to mm -hmm. us. When we compare these things directly, we see that, in fact, the crisis has been there in 2011, just as it was in 2006, mm -hmm. and just as it is now, unfortunately. We were really hoping it to be different. Okay, uh, so what does it mean for education? education? Is what is the question that you originally asked? Well, I think Val will make a, a very good contribution in this part of the conversation. For me, it means that when we go and look at the school context, particularly in the classrooms, and we see that classrooms are still not equipped with mm. classroom libraries, and in fact the poll shows us that about half of the schools, half of the classrooms that we assessed, actually only have classroom libraries. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the schools that those classes are in, we see that only 38% of the schools actually have a school library. This is what it means for education. Kids are not getting access and teachers are not getting access to all the resources that they need in order to provide and produce children who are fully, let's say, literate. literate. Mm -hmm. And that's the big challenge for us. And on top of that, what it means for education is we have to go back and have a look at the curriculum as we were touching on earlier to say why is it that in a country that's really doing well in, in reading literacy, that is the Russian Federation, for instance, they spend 40% of their time at grade four level just on language. And of that 40%, they're spending half of it on reading. Now, why are they doing it? And we go and look in our curriculum and we see we're spending 10% of our time on reading. Mm. And so our margins are exactly half of what's being done in Russia. Now, if Russia thinks that they need to spend so much more time on language at that level, why do we think we need to do it differently in a very complex, mm. multilingual society where at the same time we've got a delicate transition point for many children? Why would we spend less time on language mm -hmm. than, than a monolingual country like Russia, for yeah. instance? Okay. Let's get a comment from Val quickly. What does it mean for us is, is that we have to unpack the classroom context. And I agree, mm. libraries, classroom libraries are very important. But if I unpack the classroom context, I'm a proponent of learning must be fun. And when I go into a classroom, learning isn't fun. <laughs> so if you ask most children, do you enjoy school? They will say... I don't like school. I don't want to be here. And when I ask why, it's because it's not fun. And why is it not fun? Because teachers have become compliant, mm. unfortunately. It's not that they want to become compliant. They've been forced to become compliant. Teachers have the CAPS curriculum. And it says um, week one, or sorry, yeah, term one, week one and two, this is what we must do. Mm. So mm. what it means for the teacher is to let's look at week one and two. What are the skills that are needed to teach the content in week one and two. Now teachers who don't, I'm, I'm generalizing, so it's not at our teachers. I think we've got brilliant teachers. We've got hardworking teachers. Um, our teachers need to understand what are the skills actually. Because they, many of us don't understand what the skills are, we teach content. And so when we teach content, we miss the skills. And so let's take reading with comprehension, for example. When we look at the reading text provided by the department or the reading text coming into the classroom, very few of those texts are fun texts. And so if I'm wading through masses of information and there's no fun stories and there's no wonderful, colorful illustrations, what do children do? 
they sit back and they think, I really don't want to do this. Mm. Um, so learning firstly needs to become fun. Our teachers want to make it fun, but our teachers are, have become compliant because they've got to wade through this mass of the curriculum, they've got to complete the DBE workbooks, they've got to, children's got to write in, and so what's happening in our classroom, not because our teachers, and I'm going to emphasize this all the time that I'm here, we've got marvelous teachers, teachers want to be creative, they want to teach the way they, what is on the inside of them, they want to make learning fun, but they can't, because they've got deadlines. They've got admin. We can't get to every child's level. I'm an English-speaking teacher, but I've got Isikosa, Sesutu, French-speaking children in my class. I can't communicate with my learners. My learners are so frustrated. If they're frustrated, how frustrated am I? Because I can't make that connection. So what does it mean? We've got to unpack the classroom and find out what are the practices and how do we support our teachers. Okay, I'm just trying to think, and maybe during the course of the program, you'll be able to. So I'm thinking, what role then does the ANAS play as well as systemic evaluation, particularly within the Western Cape? My attention to the WhatsApp line. There's a message here that says, reading should be prioritized. Oh, mm. now it's refreshing. Okay, reading should be prioritized immensely in grade R and in grade 1. They focus on too many other aspects. Well, we'll get a comment. Caps OBE failed our kids. Go back to old system where art and guidance. You don't have to study for exams. Now they spend more time on doing admin for these subjects and not much concentration on the main subjects. Kid will need for university entrance. Well, that's one comment from our listener. Another one says, does schools, do schools still implement reading week? Personally, I think people are too technical. They cause our learners to dislike reading. They are going to dislike school. Well, I think that was what uh, Val was saying earlier. Another message from 9859 says, and the other teachers, kids... Okay, I'll, I'll just get that one and then I'll get to a comment quickly. Yes, here, maybe just get a quick comment from you before we get, get to Professor. You know, did one, I'm an OT, so everything I do is fun all the time um, especially developing the skills that I need to read and need to do math and all those so perceptual skills are my game gross motor is what I do um, but OT is different to teaching mm. but if I go back all my teachers were OTs at primary school yes, I never wrote flat on the desk I always wrote against the wall and we painted like that and we had the chalk and we did all that so yes it is not fun and at the end of the day, the funny thing is our children, remember we qualified, we can go teach at another school or, you know, just get paid. On. But our kids, where no. do we leave them? And if you're looking at this generation now, so in four years time, they're going to be grade eight. And then four years time, they're at university. Well, from your side, what can... Zero. Sorry, Sarah, um, because I'm looking at the page. Um, what do you foresee? You're a researcher, so you mm -hmm. kind of pinpoint and you, you kind of can see what trends are forming and how they will be formed That's if right. there are no interventions or even with the slightest glimmer that we see. What do you see for these learners, especially those ones that were tested, looking at our system, mm -hmm. looking at Anna's, looking at the systemics? What do you foresee happening mm -hmm. with these learners? 
Okay, and, and perhaps as a small context to my comments now, I should just explain that I started looking originally at the grade 12s many years ago, came down to the grade 8s and concluded we had to go down to the bottom, <laughs> to the start of everything. So I've kind of taken, it's taken me a long time to get to the start. Having said that, I know through, I also sit with the Umalusi Standards Committee, the Assessment and Standards Committee. So next week we will be sitting once again looking at the grade 12 results mm -hmm. and standardizing those marks. And I can see already where this all started. And many of the moderators' comments um, come along with the comments, you know, these children really struggle to write sentences. Mm. Their grammar, they don't know the grammar, they struggle with basic vocabulary, these are across all subjects. So I know where at the moment, and this has been for a while, they've been sitting. So my question goes back to, we've been monitoring, I know the Western Cape, one has to remember, the Western Cape is one of the best performing mm. provinces, in fact it is the best performing Falling province. province. Mm. And so your conditions are so much better. Mm here in the Western Cape, you can imagine what the rest of the country um, is struggling with. So that's one thing just to bear in mind. But if we go back and say, if these children in grade four level do not at least achieve the lowest benchmark, then unfortunately a high proportion are at risk, and these are a lot will be boys, mm -hmm. will be at risk of dropping out, and will simply not make it even to grade nine. And those that do will be promoted from one grade to the other without the fulfilling the requirements. Yes. And, and this is the sad thing. And then they come to grade 12 and then we have a high failure rate. Yes. And, and, so, and what does that do to a child's self-esteem? Yeah. And this is where I come back to the shared responsibility. Mm -hmm. The school plays a role. The teacher plays a role. Government certainly plays a role. The community also plays yeah. a role. And then what's happening at home? because literacy, in terms of pre-literacy, starts in the home. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've circled the one that says the South African boys' scores seem to have declined between 2011 and 2016. And I would like to get a comment uh, from Professor around that, but let me see what our listeners are saying. Uh, one listener is saying, Assalamu alaikum, Ridwan, and the panel. What about those learners being taught in a language which is not their mother tongue? More than 90% of our learners attend the schools where they are taught in a language that they are only exposed to during school hours. When they go home, they are exposed to their mother tongue language. I think this can be very confusing to our learners. Another message says, they have loads of admin and other teachers' kids to look after because some teachers are absent. Well, that's another comment. Another one says, you understood why our children from the Cape Flats don't just Saturday I witnessed a shocking incident. Okay, I'm trying to sort out that particular incident. Let's go to Val very quickly. Val, maybe just a quick comment uh, further, you know, uh, to what one of our listeners had said with regards to the language issue. Okay. That's the choice of the parent. So parents choose um, to enroll learners in English-speaking schools and English-speaking classrooms for their own reasons. And, and so parents then have to take responsibility for the decision that they have made. So we find, teach, we find children with um, Isikosa or what 
um, their own mother tongue in an English classroom, but the parents can't support them. So at home, the children are speaking, let's say Isikosa, because we're in the Western mm-hmm. Cape. So the Isikosa mom enrolls a child in an English classroom. Mm-hmm. But the, pe- the teacher herself needs to develop skills to communicate with the Isikosa learner. Because when the learner does not have the vocabulary, the teacher has to spend double time explaining instructions or supporting the learner. So so that is time that the teacher don't or the teacher should take. Mm-hmm. I can't say make because it's only 24 hours. <laughs> so she's got to take time to support these learners and rightly so because the child is in a classroom. But the parents then have a responsibility. The parents should then come to the teacher and say, how can I support? <coughs> because if you've got 40 learners, if you take an, uh, an average classroom in Mitchell's Plain, the average classroom you'll have between 25 to 30 learners being Isikosa mm-hmm. in an English classroom. Mm. Um, the teacher's in English speaking or the teacher is a hybrid speaker. Hybrid speaker meaning the teacher's not proficient in English, nor in Afrikaans van ons praat Mengels. So ek is a Mengelse onderwijser. So I'm still getting to learn language structure in English as a teacher. And this is the reality and it's not an indictment on our teachers, but it's the background of where education has progressed. We used to be English teachers in English classes and Afrikaans teachers in Afrikaans classes. And now we have Afrikaans teachers teaching in English classes. But that's just how we develop as a society. So children, yes, are at a disadvantage if they're not learning in their mother tongue. And the teacher only has X amount of time to support, assist and teach the learner. So when Sarah says the community plays a role, the parents play a role. Everybody else play a role. It's the responsibility of, you know, what is the saying? It takes a village to educate a child. Mm. It takes to raise a child. It takes a community to educate a child. And we cannot expect the teacher to do all of that. Um, and so, unfortunately, we always going to have that with us until, as teachers, we become proficient in the African languages as well. And, and yes, we've all tried because we all had to do an Isikosa course at one stage, and I still can't click. But we're going to have to do that. As mm, teachers, I have to learn have this, to this song called Vulem Popo, Valem Popo, open and close uh, uh, the tap, I think. Anyway, there's a message here that says, Anna and the systemic tests have confirmed the poor pearl results. Now the money used for these tests should be used to employ remedial teachers. Well, once again, a very big shukran and thank you to our listeners for their participation. Uh, then another message here says, Ya Allah, it is shocking. Another one says, we have 36 to 46 in a class and half of these learners do not learn in their mother tongue and our task is a mammoth one. Mm. Then someone says, Ridwan, can you sing it quickly? <laughs> no, no. Let's hold on to that. So let's get to Professor quickly. Professor, I want to ask, uh, the, the, sure. the learner-teacher ratio, do you think in your view that it had an impact on the polls or not? Well, here comes the, the difficulty, I suppose. The policy speak is learner-teacher ratio, and that's what they use in terms of designing and finance and whatever else. But the reality for the teachers is that the size of the classes, and we talk about class size, Mm -hmm. is far beyond what the learner-teacher ratio is. So the learner-teacher ratio is supposed to be about 39. The policy stipulates 40, but actually when we tested the classes, we found it has gone up to 45 learners in a class, Mm -hmm. on average in South Africa. It's gone up from 40 to 45. And in some languages, like Siswati, it's 55. 
Now you can think the impact of that. We've all, well, we've taught, we know what the, the difference between marking 55 books is and marking 25 books, for instance, just as an example, or managing. You start to become, you know, crowd controllers rather than educators. Mm. And then on top of it, you've got the other complexities about social background and being a social worker, a psychologist, an OT, uh, you know, all, all these demands on teachers in classes that size. Um, come to the fore. Mm-hmm. So it simply highlights and I think, you know, re-emphasizes the difficulties and the complexities mm. when you've got class sizes of this size. And the question is, why are they growing? Mm. Because the other thing we also saw is the teacher attrition. So we're finding teachers leaving the system. We've got a gap in our group of 30 to 39, which is very, very, very low percentage of teachers are actually falling in that age group. And we found this round that on average our teachers had about 15 years of experience, whereas in 2011 they had 17 years of experience. So this is telling me something. If I look in the data, it's telling me something about those class dynamics. Mm-hmm. Just another comment here. It says, and we have no cooperation from the parents. It's a no-win situation. Well, once again, a very big shukran and thank you to our listeners for their participation. Time is really caught up with us. We've got um, two minutes left. I know, Yashira, you want a minute of that time. And I'll ask Val quickly, in a minute <coughs> uh, under, you know, where to from here? Where to from here is that we have to unpack the education system. We have to look at what is happening in our classrooms and how can we support the teachers. We have to reduce, we must, we don't have a choice, we must reduce the class sizes. We must give teachers support. We must have effective school management so principals and HODs and can support the teachers because we need SMT management. So there isn't a one-size-fit-all answer. It's a very complex, education is complex. Um, and so to answer you, I'd really just like to say, let's bring the fun back to learning. Let's give teachers more time to make learning fun. Well, let's make learning fun. Uh, Professor Sarah Howie, from your side, let's ask the question, where to from here? I would like to see an intensification of the reading culture. I'd like to mm. see parents with their children enjoying their reading and bringing maybe the fun back to reading, making, yeah. making reading fun and cool to enjoy. I'd also like to see the intensification of training. I'd like to see an assumed shared responsibility of all parties when it comes to building effective readers in our society. Mm-hmm. Well, Professor Sarah Howard, certainly has been a pleasure having you here in the st- in studio with us, as well as Val Kohler. Uh, Yasira, your um, uh, comment very quickly, or your announcement. Announcement, I don't know. You asked announcement. Like announcement yes. Shukran, Ridwan. No, I would just like to, um, you know, welcome Hussein Adonis, so the Adonis family is growing, Ridwan. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the baby baby son, newborn son of my cousin, Muhammad Tawfiq, and Bilkis Adonis. So I our family officially has Hassan and Hussein Adonis, Ridwan. So just congratulations to them. Shukran for the lovely pick. And give me mouth that I couldn't be there today on my way to radio. But all the best, inshallah, moving forward. Okay, well, shukran for that, Yashara. Once again, a very big shukran. And thank you to Professor Sarah Howie, as we said, National Research Coordinator and currently professor at the University of Stellenbosch. We wish you everything of the best. Uh, there, so having moved from Pretoria to Val Kohler, uh, Reed uh, Education. I'll trust everything of the best to you as well um, and we want to say a very big thank you for taking your time everything of the best on that we say to you a very good evening and Yasira you say easy peasy lemon squeezy from myself Vilo and Ahmed and our guest in studio until next time we say to you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh